You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women Podcast. This is episode number 364. I am your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com, and I'm here with my co-host, Stephanie Ruper, who is the founder of paleoforwomen.com, author of Sexy by Nature, and Harvard researcher. We're also the co-authors of a book called Coconuts and Kettlebells. Get it on Amazon. And today we're going to be talking about obsessive biohacking healthy cookware and what to avoid, postpartum hormones, period abnormalities, and when to know when it's time to test your hormones to look for imbalances. Before we get into all that fun, over 75% of women are deficient in magnesium. So if you're listening to this, you are likely deficient if you're not supplementing. And if you are deficient, it cascades into other problems. In fact, Women may actually deal with more health issues than men from not getting enough magnesium. This is because magnesium supports sleep. We've talked about that a lot on this podcast. It does also help to manage blood sugar and insulin, and it's anti-inflammatory. But perhaps most importantly, it fuels healthy mitochondria, which is important for hormonal health because steroid hormones are made in the mitochondria. So it serves an important role in helping to balance hormones and moderate your monthly cycle. The truth is most magnesium supplements you'll find in health stores use only the two cheapest synthetic forms. And since they're not full spectrum, they may not raise your magnesium levels. Um, So there's actually seven unique forms of magnesium, and it's important to take a compound supplement with multiple forms to experience the calming health-enhancing effects. Uh, This is why I love Magnesium Breakthrough. It is a compound supplement that has seven different forms of magnesium. All of them are bioavailable and in highly absorbable forms. I've been taking two every night before bed for the last couple years. It's one of the only nutrients that is an absolute must for me daily. Sometimes I bump it up a little bit when I'm when I'm stressed out. For our exclusive offer, go to Mag Breakthrough M A G B R E A K T H R O U G H dot com forward slash wellfed. Our code is wellfed ten to save ten percent off Magnesium Breakthrough. I purchased the bulk option, so I get my bottles for just under thirty dollars. Uh, again, magbreakthrough.com forward slash well-fed. If for any reason you don't love it, you can actually get a full refund up to a year after your purchase, which is really great. I love that they stand behind their products. Our code again is wellfed10 to get a 10% discount, magbreakthrough.com forward slash well-fed. Hello, Steffi. Hello. Question for you. Yes. yes. Fashion question. Do you, Have you gotten into wearing animal print at all yet? You know, what's funny, I have a friend who put me in a leopard print top last week and I wore it out. But that's the first time in my life I have ever worn animal print. Uh, So you know how we were talking about last week what happens in your in your 30s? Yeah, you get into it. You get into animal print. Okay. Scary. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Is this like a switch? Plants, birds, animal print. It's 
eye masks, earplugs? <laughs> uh, I um, I don't love you in my clothes. I don't normally wear patterns. I'm yeah, I can. See, sol- I can see I'm that. usually solid colors uh, yeah. because, as I described and alluded to last time I was on the podcast, uh, my face is just basically this soup of warm. <laughs> of orange and pink tones and so i yeah uh, I, I try to keep it pretty simple <laughs> i try to keep it pretty simple yeah i will yeah. say that that some of that stuff hits more when it's like mid 30s like 35 but i realized lately that like i never wore prints like animal prints when i was in my 20s and all of a sudden i'm like oh let me get this leopard duster and wear it like around uh, it's just who am i i'm gonna be 36 in a few weeks <sighs> wow Thanks, Stephanie. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess. Well, no, actually. Wow. Well, I know. So I, I know. know that you're a little bit older than me. Just a little. But I just forgot that I'm turning 34. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't this forget because I think, wow, wow. It's just and we, I just it's funny because we started podcasting when I was a child. You were, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, I have a PhD. You have offspring. Wow, two of them. Just crazy. Two. Where did offspring. they come from? Offspring, plural. Yeah, yeah you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I I definitely remind my husband of that, like pretty regularly. I'm like, I I made these. They came out of my body. So <laughs> appreciate me, please. Thank you. <laughs> I made these two things. How is that possible? It's just crazy. Yeah, I. For some reason, I know people are listening and they're like, shut up. But I I just feel like 36 is a lot. I It just is like the first age that I'm like, I'm me? I'm 36? Mm, like, I've always kind yeah. of felt like, oh, 30, so fun. And then it's like 32, 33. And all of a sudden it's like 36? So yeah. it's lovely because my husband's a few years older. So it does kind of still make, <laughs> me, fe- make me feel youthful. But... I just can't believe this is me. Like, here we are. I can. You know, when I look back on my life and I see how far away high school and college was and and just how much I've grown even in the last five years, it's it's absolutely something I can see. But at the same time, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, so I've been uh, it's been really, really good for me because I have become uh, close with a bunch of people are are the we have a wide range of ages of people that I hang out with in my circles and I I think it's been it's just been really good for me because when I was younger I was always so worried that my life would have to become a certain way you know that I would have to grow up in a certain way or I would have to change my personality in all these different ways or change how I have fun right all these sorts of mm-hmm. things and I'm just realizing that uh, life is life and you can live it any number of ways you want to. And if you want to, you know what I mean? If you want to dance all the time, you can do it, you know? And, and so, um, it, it, yeah, growing older has been scary for me my entire life, but I'm learning now that, you know, we just, we choose, we choose how we do it. And that's, that's how it is. Yeah. Which is nice. Age is just a number. How cliche, but it really is true. Yeah, I will say there's a lot of misconceptions about growing, getting older when you are in your 20s. You see older people. I mean, even when you're in high school, whatever. I know high school's like high school and college are kind of formative years. But you do have a lot of preconceived notions about what it means to be in your 30s or what it means to grow up. And 
even for me, you know, I remember so deeply being terrified of gaining weight and seeing mm-hmm. all these older people gain weight. And it, it, pregnancy was like this death sentence where everybody lost themselves in quotations and gained weight and their bodies changed. And it was just such a culture of, I mean, even seeing that at even such a young age, all you see is marketing trying to help what, you know, you consider to be old people get their body back and get control of their life again. And it was like, oh, that's not going to be me. And you it's just crazy what we're conditioned to think about getting older in general and what that means, whereas so much of it, then you get older and you're like, wow, it's not so bad. Um, and also, like, I'm still young. You know, it's like, whatever. The 40s, the new 30. Everybody says that. No, I mean, whatever. 40 is 40, 30 is 30, and it's still fun. So, and it, you don't have to, it's, there's beauty also in letting go of a lot of what you thought you needed to do or be or weigh, you know, and uh, like seeing what life is really about and what you're really passionate about and what really brings you joy. And there's a lot of confidence that comes from that. You you become more self-aware, but you also come become just more confident and 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 happier with that when you can let go of the stuff that you know isn't serving you and really continue to pursue what's right for for you and your body and when what you're called to. If you are active and follow a whole foods diet, you need to be thinking about electrolyte replacement. Take it from me, who did not consider electrolytes for a very long time. Don't make the mistake I did. So here's the deal. You lose electrolytes when you sweat, like when you're working out, even when you're doing things like going into a sauna and when you go to the bathroom. These electrolytes have to be replaced through your diet or through supplementation. And if you're following a whole foods diet, which is naturally low in sodium, you can actually be chronically deficient in electrolytes. And even if you salt your foods, it may still not be enough if you are working out and sweating regularly. So this can show up as, or a deficiency can show up as dizziness, muscle cramps, headaches, fatigue, seeing stars when you stand up, sleep disturbance especially on workout days, which was my experience. Electrolytes are important because water absorption in your body is dependent upon the absorption of key electrolytes like sodium and magnesium and potassium. And if you are guzzling water throughout the day or you find yourself super thirsty, you can actually be flushing out your electrolytes and you may actually be in need of electrolytes, not more water. Element makes grab-and-go electrolyte replacement supplementation. You just take an Element recharge packet, tear it open, mix it with water, and sip on it. There is no sugar, gluten fillers, artificial ingredients, and it's paleo-friendly. I've been using Element regularly on workout days and has made such a difference for me in the last year. I don't feel so thirsty or empty throughout the day. I don't have that dizziness I used to when I go from sitting to standing post-workout. And just as a tip, when you're drinking it, mix it in about 16 ounces of water. And then if it starts to get a little salty at the end, just add a bit more water and stir and sip on it as needed, which is what I do. I It's called second drink. <laughs> um, that's what I do throughout the day while I'm sipping on it. So grab a free sample pack of Element by going to drink 
dlmnt.com forward slash well-fed. All you have to do is pay for shipping. So it's a box of eight. Again, that's drink. So D-R-I-N-K element lmnt.com forward slash well-fed. You can click on get yours. And if you have already bought yourself some boxes, use that link to buy three boxes and get one free, which is what we do. Anyway, would you like to jump into questions? Let's do it. Okay. Question number one is from Sarah. She said, I used to be obsessive with controlling my health and body by restricting food and over-exercising. Thankfully, I got over that one. And now I think I am a little too obsessed with biohacking and non-toxic living in attempt to control my health and my family's health. I'm finding it really hard not to be scared of everything and wanting to control everything around me. For example, my water, even though I filter it with a Berkey but just started reading controversy about that filter, EMFs, the sunflower oil in my almond crackers, the air in my home. Even though we live in in a fresh mountain setting, we just can't afford air purifiers right now. The furniture in our house, the Ziplocs I occasionally use to freeze soup in when all my stashers and glass containers are being used, the mattress I'm sleeping on because it's not $5 billion and certified free of toxins, etc. Like it consumes my mind and I have a really hard time stepping back and finding a balance with it all. I think it's good to be conscious of our toxic burden, but how do we do that and not become overly obsessed and consumed by it all? Wow. Mm. Uh Yes. So yeah, am I the woman to ask about this? I, think I don't know. Are we? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I think yeah. Uh, Noelle and I have slightly different ways of inhabiting this question. <laughs> so, um, as you'll see in the next question, I believe um, our different responses to this will become obvious in the next question. So I. I've thought about this a lot. Uh, so here are some questions, some questions to throw out to anybody thinking about this um, and some ideas. Okay, first, uh, we're all going to die. Fact. <laughs> we're all going to die. And that's just a part of, you know, that's a part of the circle of life. That's how it works. And uh, my question is, like, what are we trying to optimize for here, right, um, while we're here? Uh, we would all really like to live long, healthy lives. And I'm going to do many things within my power to, uh, to make that happen. Right. But, um, but there's a very big question of how much physical, financial, emotional labor you're putting into that task. Right. Um, and how much you're getting for it. In in most cases, in a lot of cases, I don't put in that much labor, and it turns out like, and it's great, and it's good for me, and it feels good, and and I do it. Um, so eating kale, one of my favorite things to do, right, um, is totally, totally within the sphere of things that I am quite sure are helpful for me and don't cost me a lot and don't make me anxious. And I just, I do it and I have to eat. And so I make choices that, you know, are like that. Um, but generally speaking, I do this with a lot of things in my life. I prefer a little bit of risk for the sake of the peace of mind of not worrying about certain things. Right. Um, and I, I have that kind of attitude with belongings. Like I, 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 you know, um, just a lot of 
we are exposing ourselves to risk all the time, right? Um, and I have conversations with my friends about this a lot um, because it's very easy to carry anxiety about all of the different risks we expose ourselves to. But every time something comes up that might be any kind of risk to my health or safety or well-being or whatever, I remember that like I ride my bike over a bridge like all the time and I get in the car all the time. Mm. And these are mm-hmm. risks, right? And uh, I walk down the street and I climb mountains and I do all of these different things. And everything we do is picking and choosing and weighing our relative health and safety and risks and well-being, like constantly, like, like it's unfolding all of the time, right? And in tiny ways too, right? Do I eat the donut or do I eat the kale salad thing, you know, with the garnish and, you know, and, and it's cost benefit analysis always and risk always. And for me, just not worth it. There are things. Okay. So I have looked into a lot of these very specific toxin related things. Um, when big red flags have been thrown my way by people whose opinions I trust, A, B, um, I'm generally aware of plastics, of stuff in shampoo. And I, you know, I try to buy things that are safer-ish, but I don't obsess over the details. And I also look into these things related to very specific health-related issues that I have, right? So I'm generally speaking, not trying really hard to fix something that isn't broken for me. Um, And so I do uh, orange light filters on my computer 100% of the time because I have to for my headaches, right? And I've looked into uh, all certain, I'm like, you've heard me talk about all the different kinds of biohacking I do, the histamine stuff and yada, 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 because of specific issues that I have. Um, But other than that, like I I just let it go. Cause you know, cause, cause, cause what are you going to do? What are we here optimizing for? Right. And, um, what is, what is, what is the cost of, of worrying? And plenty of people live long, healthy lives, not, you know, not nitpicking details. And there just comes a point at which like letting details slide could be, could be good for us at the same time. Maybe not, maybe I'm completely wrong, you know? Um, but my quality of life is good and I don't anticipate it getting like altogether worse, but maybe it will, but that's also a risk. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, ev- everything you do is a calculated risk, even like eating, you know, I, I ate like too many cruciferous vegetables recently and I think my calcium levels went up and then I didn't sleep very well. And then I like dialed it back and then I took more magnesium, like even that in its own way was a risk. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, So yeah, this is a long diatribe of me just saying the word risk a lot, but basically, um, that's, that's kind of why, like I'm vaguely aware and I do pay very close attention to things that can be affecting my, my symptoms. Uh, but otherwise I just kind of let it go. I, I love the idea of risk assessment. It is definitely how I operate in the world. I think 
that, but also we have to really, Steph and I have always been focused on foundational changes. What are those big things that you can shift that we know are going to improve your health? Let's do that. Let's adapt to those. And then let's find other things, little tweaks. Maybe you're struggling with hormones and you want to switch out your skincare. Maybe you're struggling with allergies and you're really you do want to get an air purifier. And so you do these little things over time in accordance with your symptoms and what's important to you and maybe what you're, you know, most exposed to or whatever. But you cannot get overwhelmed with all the things that are bad for you out there because the truth of the matter is we do live in a toxic world. And you have to be able to assess, okay, what what is going to benefit me and I can make this change? And what do I need to let go of? Because of all the reasons that Stephanie just said, worrying is going to create more of a problem than just like, then even if you've swapped it out and we're, you know, hyper-focused on it and thinking about it 24-7. I am going to you know, I'll probably, I mean, I'm throwing some people under the bus. I know that. But a lot of people who are selling you these products are intentionally trying to create fear. So for you to be motivated to buy something, you do have to feel like your health is going to be inhibited in some way if you don't buy it. And at some point, I believe me, I'm a biohacker. I want to do all the things to help me because I need help. And I have found incredible things that have, you know, red light therapy and blue blocks, blue blockers, and all the the stuff has helped me tremendously. So I'm not knocking it. But I am going to say that a lot of times when we see this like huge, you know, fear-based marketing, I can't get down with that. I want to share things that I love and that I use that I think other people might love and also, you know, oh, that's an easy swap or, oh, this is going to help me feel better, live better. It's going to improve my health. But I just can't get behind sometimes, you know, and I see it a lot, this like fear-based marketing, this almost like creation of a product to make consumers feel like they absolutely have to have something when it's not necessarily like it's not going to be the thing that kills you in the end. (laughs) Just, Just putting it out there. So I think we have to take a step back and understand the impacts of marketing. We have to also trust who we're allowing to give us recommendations and tell us things. There is there are people out there that are going to tell you absolutely everything that like, you know, for the Berkey, the Berkey is the best of the best. Right. With filtering water. But there is always going to be that weird article out there that's like the Berkey is the worst water filter in the world and it's killing you slowly. So you should just drink tap water. You know, it's just like everybody's going to have an opinion. So you have to be able to block out those I will say uncredible sources or just, you know, the differing opinions and say, okay, I'm I'm just going to keep filtering my water and trust that I'm drinking good water. Like it's going to be okay, you know? Um and it's hard. And I I think one of the things that's kind of at the root of this and one of the things that a lot of us who have struggled in the past with diet culture and trying to control our food and our fitness is the desire for control. So why why is that desire for control there? A lot of times it's because it's, man- it's helping us manage our anxiety. It's helping us manage our insecurities. It's helping us manage our fear of, you know, dying, our fear of being alone, our fear of, you know, all the things. 
maybe, you know, there's things we don't want to deal with. And it's easier to deal, to be worried and focused and obsessive with all the things we're controlling in our lives because it allows us to not have to sit and feel the things that we need to feel and process. So being, you know, a type A personality type, being a perfectionist, that can also create this situation where you're now you're trying to do other things. You're trying to put that energy elsewhere. And for me, I've, you know, spoken about this too. It's easy to change my focus and put it into my work and my productivity. And, you know, what, what am I giving, what am I getting done? What's, what am I checking off my checklist? And that's now, it's a new way, new, new place to keep me distracted and where I find my worth and all the things. And so I have to be very intentional with not letting myself get hung up on some of that stuff. So I hope that was helpful. I don't know if it was, but I, it I understand the struggle and I you'd have to be able just like you talk we talk to ourselves and we kind of move through our feelings of seeing somebody seeing fitspo let's say and saying I don't have to be that. It's okay. Like I don't I don't need to jump and go work out right now. That's not right for me. I can be healthy doing a variety of things and you know, I don't need a six-pack ab what you know, photo on my Instagram, you know, to prove my worth. You can also kind of talk yourself through, well, oh my gosh, I'm feeling I just read this article and now I'm feeling like the Berkey's a bad thing or oh my gosh, I have oh, I use that Ziploc. Like, I get it. I feel the same way because I use zip, I have extra plastic bags and I, you know, you can kind of feel that like, oh, man, I shouldn't be doing this. Right. And so you just make a plan to say, all right, I got to get some more stasher bags. Or you just say it's one time and I'm not, what am I doing the majority of the time? The majority of the time I am taking care of my health, whether, you know, let's I'm going to move past stasher bags. But I was going to say, you know, it's sustainable, whatever, you know, whatever you're feeling guilt about, you don't need to feel guilt about it. You can say, you know what, I'm making this decision. It's OK. It's just for for a time. And, you know, the majority of the time I am making the health decisions that are right for me. But worrying about this, getting spun up about this and letting this, you know, have real estate, unpaid real estate in my mind is not going to help my health either. So I've got to let that go and move on and know that people all over the world can do a variety of things and and be healthy and live a long life. And, you know, we look at centurions and people who live to 100, and it's really funny because they're not the people who are biohacking themselves Mm-mm. out the wazoo, right? <laughs> no. Nope. Um, nope. That's not it. So if you're, if you're scared of dying early um, and you were to follow the advice of all the centarians, it'd probably be just eat, enjoy life, enjoy your community and, you know, have a cigarette every now and again. Right. Because <laughs> that's what the people mm-hmm. who turn 100 do. I'm not saying go smoke. I'm just saying. Right. That's what, and, yeah. and, and it's it's altogether possible that like part of the reason, you know, I mean, there's genetics and there could be so many different factors. These people's bodies are uniquely resilient. Ergo, they can, sure. you know, have all these behaviors. But generally speaking, I mean, there are communities and there are parts of the world where uh, there are certain practices that we might want to learn from that seem like very much embedded in health. But uh, you're absolutely right. It seems to me that people who tend to live um, quite long lives tend to be um uh, purpose-driven and or 
uh, like really, really laid back and don't care. <laughs> like, like it's, I think it, it has a lot to do with mindset and just, um, mm-hmm. uh, th- those two categories, what they have in common is like stress doesn't eat them up. Yes. You know? Right. Um, so, cause stress happens to all of us, but you know, it, it, it yeah, stress, stress doesn't eat them up. So right. it's very yep. interesting. Absolutely. Um, okay, question number two is from Amy. She says, cookware, meaning pots, pans, baking sheets, etc. I know Teflon is bad, but I've also heard people say, don't use cast iron, don't use copper, don't use ceramic. What are we supposed to use then? With all our cook- Will all our cookware eventually kill us? Right now I'm using stainless steel and cast iron and line, line with parchment paper, but I would really love some great nonstick options that aren't toxic. Um, can I just say one thing? My note says, why not just mix it up so you get an equal dose of all the risks? <laughs> <laughs> a small, Good option. Like a small equal dose of all the risks. <laughs> Don't listen to my advice, please. Listen to Noelle. Go ahead. Oh, Lord. Okay. Take it away. <laughs> so here's all the, the options, and I'm just going to give you some pros and cons of both. These are the safe options. Enameled cookware. So... That cook when something's enameled, it is non-reactive. There's no leaching of materials into the food. Enamel is like powdered melted glass. It's coating something else. So, for example, there's like enamel coated cast iron cookware, and that makes it nice and nonstick. I think that this is a good option if you were to drop it. It's not going to break into pieces like ceramic, but it will chip. Second option, cast iron is fine. Now, there may be some naysayers. You know how like when you just start confusing people when you start trying to say, don't use cast iron. Because here, back in the day, you know, we would talk about bone broth. You know, as a nutritionist, you would talk about how bone broth, how healthy it was. And then people would be like, oh, but bone broth is not good for people who have histamine intolerance or, you know, whatever. Ferment, eat, eat your sauerkraut, eat your fermented foods. Oh, that's that's just not good. That's that's actually not good for for these types of people. It's like, oh, well, wow, should I not be eating sauerkraut now? Should I not be drinking bone broth? Should I not be eating leftovers? And so people get confused in a hurry because there are always going to be situations where something is not great for everyone, hence bioindividuality. But the deal with cast iron is it is very durable. It's it's it you can take it from stovetop to oven. It's great for searing. It's great for high heat. So when I am, I also like cooking cooking things that are fatty in it because it helps to season the cast iron and kind of create a nice coating on top with just fat that is going to make it nonstick. So I do when I do I'm doing sautés, ground beef sautés, or even just like tacos or whatever. I always do that in the cast iron. It is actually a good source of iron. It can put it can help infuse your food with iron, but if you are dealing with an iron overload, it might not be the best option. That's all. But if you, if you have an iron over, overload, you're going to know. So I wouldn't worry about that. I would still use your cast iron. So cast iron, good. Don't cook anything acidic in it like tomato sauce and all that cuz that can really that's will you'll ruin the surface. Um but cast iron's great. I have one big cast iron pan that was my grandma's, and it's like a Wagner, whatever. And um, that's where I do all my cooking. So most of my cooking. Stainless steel, another great option. It's awesome for searing, getting nice golden color on things. You have to really practice with stainless steel. So we did get a full stainless steel cook set 
from Cuisine Art. It's like the multi-clad pro. I will link to it in the show notes. I love that. But it did take some some testing and trying and experimentation because you need to heat up the pan first if you because it sticks. So you got to heat up the pan first, put plenty of oil in next, let the oil get hot, then put your food in. Don't flip the food too soon. It's going to stick. We do not cook eggs in the stainless steel cookware. I can tell you that much. Ceramic, the next thing. So we did enameled cookware, cast iron, stainless steel. Last one is ceramic. So ceramic is also generally safe as long as it's not a brand that uses a non-toxic inorganic like mineral oxide thing to kind of create a non-stick surface. The two brands that I like are Green Pan, which is cheaper, and Caraway, which is um, more expensive. Ceramic is a cheap material. If you were to drop it, it could break. It's not durable. So you're likely going to have to replace it. I think people expect their pans to last for just years and years and years. And that's really only something you're going to get from something like stainless steel um, cookware, you know, your old Teflon pan that thing could just last forever, right? So ceramic is not going to last forever. We have a green pan set. Everything has worked great. I love using, I do like the pots. I have like saucepans and pots where I do a lot of boiling and stuff like that. When I'm boiling, let's say I'm making rice noodles or whatever. I'll do it in the green pan pots. We have one big green pan skillet that we cook eggs in. It works beautifully. I do not cook on anything higher than five, like a level five setting. It has got to be medium low. When you're cooking, it does get pretty hot when you do that, but you've got to keep it low You've got to add pretty good oil to it, and stuff will just slide right off like eggs. Um, Green Pan uses a coating called thermolin. Thermolin, I think it is. Um, Anyway, it is made from a natural material. It does not release any toxic fumes, even at high heat. It's cheaper, but again, you will likely have to replace it within the year. I We had... We've had ours for a couple years, and it was fine until I turned up the heat and turned it on like seven or eight, and it it almost like burnt off the nonstick coating, and then after that, everything sort of just kept sticking. And if you looked at the pan that we had and the new green pan, the exact same pan, we ordered a new one. If you looked at the two of them, you could see the difference. One had a nice, shiny, almost like glistening coating. The other one did not. So you just have to make sure that you and then when we store them, we put like they give you these little felt things to store in between your ceramic cookware. We do use those again, low heat, plenty of, you know, coconut oil. You'll be good. Uh, Caraway is a fantastic brand. It is more high quality. It's it's going to last you longer. Um, there's no lead cadmium. There's no other toxic materials in that. Um, but it is still, again, ceramic. The problematic ones, Teflon. Um, obviously, everybody knows that Teflon has an issue. It was made of like previous chemicals, PFASs. Uh, we've talked, I talked about those. Well, no, I'm actually going to talk about those coming up in an episode about plastics and forever chemicals. Number one thing to get rid of. And they stopped actually adding that to Teflon in 2013. So Teflon's now made from a different chemical group. It's it's just a dangerous chemical. Here's the thing about copper. Copper is absolutely going to leach copper into your food. So this cannot be good just because an excess of copper can really cause a variety of 
health problems, specifically stemming from like a copper zinc imbalance. So it's just not something I would recommend. And then aluminum, of course, aluminum cookware has been shown to leach a significant amount of aluminum into food when cooking. That's where we're talking about baking pans and all that kind of stuff. I would highly recommend using, again, parchment paper lining, but also there is now ceramic pans. I use stainless steel baking pans. If I'm going to bake a cake, I'm still going to use my... Oh, actually, I have two sets of stainless steel cake pans. They work fantastic. I have a set of six-inch pans, and I have a set of... And it was like 15 bucks to buy the set of three. So I have three eight-inch pans, stainless steel. And I just started investing in ceramic. I just... They actually have a donut ceramic pan, which is pretty darn cool, because that's historically been really hard to find, like a non-aluminum pan, and silicone is not durable. It will just rip in a second. And then uh, a bread pan. I just got a ceramic bread pan for Christmas. So I do think that that... And if you want to know more about the harmful effects of aluminum, we did do an episode number 346 a while back. Um, That was all about aluminum and deodorant. So aluminum can potentially have some pretty harmful effects when it's connected to like nervous system toxicity and all that kind of stuff. So you can listen to that episode for more. But... um, yeah, that's my recommendation. Are and Steph, um, welcome back. What do you? What do you? Do Hello. You use ca- cast iron. No. Um. No, I have a nonstick pan <laughs> of some variety. Okay. Uh, one. I have one. Uh, I cook egg yolks in it sometimes, and uh, that's all I've done. Actually. What do you eat? What do you? <laughs> One of my friends, one of my new friends here was like, man, you just, you got to write your next book on the coffee and supplements diet. Yeah. That's you, not, did you, did that's you text in my that? fridge? I don't, I don't. So I, I eat um, not usually here. Um, what do I eat? Uh, so I buy a bunch of pre-chopped vegetables and I microwave them mm-hmm. uh, because that's time efficient for me. And uh, I add nice, I, I have nice olive oil, high polyphenol, you know, that sort of thing, extrovert, you know. Um, And I do have MCT oil for cooking if and when I um, cook. Uh, But I am often dining out and about and I buy a lot of pre-made like salads and the bar at Whole Foods, you know, the food bar at Whole <laughs> yes, Foods. Yes, that, that is a good bar. Um, it, it, it can yeah. get pricey though, but we have a um, a local a nonprofit grocery store around the corner here where I get most of my veggies, uh, but they're either veggies that don't have to be cooked or I can cook them in the microwave. Uh, But you can cook pretty much anything in the microwave. But what about ground beef? I might just eat a lot. Um, I don't, I don't really eat my protein at home much anymore. Uh, Recently, a fair amount of my protein has been cottage cheese. Uh, and that's very simple, but I haven't, I haven't been cooking animal products really except, uh, egg yolks. And I've been, ta- I take the whites out because they're histamine releasers and it's, it's a problem oh. for me. Uh, but the yolks I can s- still consider to be quite valuable. Um, and so, um, but I'll buy like a baked salmon salad mm-hmm. at Whole Foods. And it's actually not more expensive than buying a can of salmon, which I find you know, interesting. So uh, I, I find ways to get um, my protein out and about. And I do my best, again, if I purchase it at home to buy it through local grass-fed 
ventures. But um, yeah, otherwise, I'm just out. I'm just out and about all the time. So that's what I do for food. Well, aren't we just the most different on that one? <laughs> we got so much. We got we got so much in common. Noel and we I have plenty to, we have to like really common. like we have to really like pick <laughs> for the differences. Although we remember that one time. Remember that one time. Remember that one time. Um, I, I'm I'm sorry. I forget your name. Whoever wrote in and said this, um, but I was I was informed that I am a part of uh, wellness <laughs> culture. Is that was that it? Yeah, Bio, yeah, yeah. Wellness yeah, yeah, culture. Yeah. Um, but like no, oh, but not not Noel. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny, and we did we we dove deep into that one. We did. Um, yes. Thank you all for your patience. I appreciate you so much. Um, yeah, and please, um, if you have thoughts or opinions about how I operate and would like to share them with me, you are always welcome. Um, yeah. So thank you all for that. Okay. <laughs> okay. You're sweet. I'm the, I'm over here using a different pan every night for like, depending on the meal, like <laughs> I've I got a whole Instagram. Okay. Like I, I know. Think- I love the way Noelle lives her life. I love it so much. I get so much joy from the, like. That's sweet. Yeah, from everything about it. The, it's just sweet and lovely. And I learn about cooking. And I've started commenting on all of the dinner posts. I don't oh my know gosh. Just that. I'm that trying. gives me life. Every time I see it, you're like, hi, commenting here to get this out to more people. <laughs> yeah, so everybody, people find dinner recipes very useful. And love dinner recipes, but they're not prioritized by algorithms and people tend to like comment on them less because they're not, I don't know, they're, they're not, not cookies or something. not putting people's yeah. Yeah. And so it can help get dinner recipes, like, you know, be being a good Samaritan, like get, get good dinner recipes out to people <laughs> if you like or if you comment and save uh, Noelle's posts about dinner so i'm always like now when i'm a new pr them. person yeah i just put up and drop a bunch of heart emojis or something <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean great recipes i mean the fact that you're making naan is just uh, amazing you know yeah uh, paleo it's yeah so she does a beautiful job obviously and it yeah. takes so much finesse and effort even though she makes it look effortless and that's that's how you know so that's, it's very sweet um that's true. i appreciate that yeah the i mean i know it so a lot of people say non. I say nan because I'm American, but um, I'm your Sorry. traditional. I'm your tr- tr- traditional white girl. But I I will say um, that people really were excited about that recipe, and the photo was beautiful. And then you know that that definitely got to more people, which I was excited about. And I get it. You know the algorithm, y'all. This is just a total side note. If you're trying to share stuff on on social media. If you want it to do well, you have to share shareable content. And so it (laughs) like Man, it took me so long to figure that out. (laughs) Breaking folks. If you want to be successful, look at this and say, would somebody share this to their own stories? That's kind of your like green light, red light. And look, I share stuff all the time that I'm like, people are gonna love this and nobody does. And it's fine. It's part of the learning process it helps somebody okay it's fine it's just it was hard for me you i had a, so much effort into I, something and nobody likes it you're just like oh i know um okay. i had a moment with like the dinner recipes where i was like 
Y'all keep telling me you want dinner recipes. You have to like and comment because if you, the, if you like and comment on this, uh, Instagram's like, oh, this is popular. I'm going to put this in somebody else's newsfeed. And then people see it. And people genuinely, I get it. They want to see things. But the more you interact with it, it'll help other people see it. But also then you'll you'll see that person's content more regularly. So you just have to think mm-hmm. about that. And I mean, I even have to think about that, too, because I sometimes scroll and I see your post or whatever. And I'm like, oh, love them. They're the best. Huh? And I keep scrolling. And I'm like, no, I should probably like like that and, you know, be a, be a friend um, and like support other people because, you know, why not? So, yeah. Tangent, coming back. Question number three is about postpartum hormones. Um, This one's from Melanie. She says, first postpartum period talk, please. What uh, abnormalities warrant a visit to the doc? Timing, spotting, etc. How long until they might get back to normal? Julie says, getting your period back after baby and regulating hormones. At what point is is it no longer normal or okay to not have a period? I haven't had a period in three and a half years. I didn't bleed in between my last two kiddos. What tests can I bring? To my doc to request for blood work to make sure hormones are balanced. What levels are optimal? Struggling with low libido, low energy due to lack of sleep with night wakings with kids. But otherwise, I feel good and healthy. Okay, so um, I have answered this question before, but I do want to review it because I, I do feel like it's still something that a lot of women are questioning. I know I was confused about it, too, in between kids and all that. So Most women will get their period back between 9 and 18 months postpartum. About 50% get it before the 12-month mark. And this is breastfeeding moms. About 50% after the 12-month postpartum mark. That seems like a long time. It is. It's a whole dang year and sometimes a year and a half. And if you're breastfeeding, it's normal. And it's... I will say if you struggled with period loss or hypothalamic amenorrhea, or maybe you were dieting and doing a lot of fitness and all that kind of stuff before kids, it's likely something to be aware of postpartum because postpartum is, of course, one of those times where we're hyper aware of our weight and are we getting our body back and we're getting all these messages about postpartum. We should, you know, get this or get your flat belly back, blah, blah, blah. And so we kind of are starting to think about it. But at the same time, we're super stressed. We're not, you know, like cortisol's through the worst. We're not roof. We're not sleeping. All of these other things are creating, you know, a stress bomb. <laughs> and it is really hard on your body. And so that can impact your period and your hormones and all of that. So it's normal to not get it for a while. It's normal even not to have it for up to 18 months postpartum. In my experience, if you are nursing still at night, your period is still going to stay missing. Mine appeared both times right after I night weaned. So even though my kid was eight, nine months old and was eating plenty of food, especially the Maverick just was just, he'll, he'll eat, he was just a, he downs food, right? He was eating a ton of food. He would still wake up kind of cranky in the middle of the night and I would nurse him. And once I cut that out and stopped nursing him at that night waking, it was like immediately I got my period back. Um, even though it wasn't that much milk, I wasn't like nursing a ton. It's just still the act of nursing around the clock like that. And I think our bodies just know. So I, I think that there are a lot of things that are normal. There are, it's normal to have irregular periods. I would say for irregular periods, um, you can definitely expect your periods to be a little heavier or more painful or spaced longer apart once you do get it back. 
I would think that that's generally normal for somewhere around three to five months. You know, those first three to five periods back, they're going to be a little off. If they come back and they're good and then things start to go awry again, that's something to think about. That's something to consider. That's a biomarker to take. Your your period is a vital sign. And so if it's gone or spotty or something's off, then your health is off. And so if it's come back and then it kind of gets spotty again and goes away, I think that's a sign that you are dealing with too much stress in, in some way, shape, or form, whether that's lack of sleep, lack of food, too much exercise, all that stuff. And it's important to like make a mental note and and work on on stress. Um what was the last? Oh, um, testing. So I would definitely get your thyroid checked. So thyroid issues are very common postpartum, and you could have low thyroid function, which I think would explain some of the symptoms. I, you also have symptoms of a few other things, but I, I would start with the thyroid. I would ask for a full thyroid panel, not just T4. Request that you look at everything, including thyroid antibodies. And I would also just ask for any blood work they're willing to do. So when I went to my six-week postpartum with my midwives, my appointment, they were like, let's just look at everything. (laughs) It's like, sweet, I'm down. If it's free, let's do it. So we looked at vitamin D status and a lot of different just nutrients. We looked at hormones and it was just nice to kind of have, we did a full thyroid panel. So it was just nice to have another checkpoint for me to understand where things were at. Not get too hung up on it because, you know, obviously it's a stressful time, but it was just nice to have that information available. I would, so I would just see what work they're willing to do. If you continue to feel like you're dealing with a specific hormone imbalance, there are definitely tests that will look at it more accurately. So I do love the Dutch hormone test. I think it's incredibly accurate. It's like a urine test and it will look at all the different hormones. And I just, I'm assuming some things like lack of sleep and high cortisol are contributing to these hormone imbalances and stress levels. So you will get further insight with that if, again, your symptoms persist. I, as a first step though, I would really, I have a blog post called How to Balance Hormones Naturally. It's very comprehensive. It goes into detail about the top five things that you need to do to really focus on balancing hormones naturally and what's what behaviors, lifestyle behaviors are throwing it off, but also like what nutrient deficiencies could be at play, how to support your liver through that, and even, you know, supplementally what you can do to help, you know, maybe some adaptogens that you can, ha- you can use. Low progesterone, the symptoms are, you know, exhaustion, insomnia, anxiety, mood swings, increased stress, compromised fertility, irregular or missing cycles, and then PMS symptoms. When you have, I mean, stress is directly correlated to progesterone. When you have high cortisol and you're chronically stressed, you are going to experience low progesterone, which can also give you symptoms of estrogen dominance. So that's something you may be experiencing as well. Also important to note, chronic, you know, fatigue and stress is going to lead to adrenal, in quotations, fatigue, also known as HPA axis dysregulation. But that can really, you know, be causing some issues as well. That could be causing your symptoms as well. So I would look at all of that. Look at I will link to my blog post in the show notes, see what you can do to just naturally support the balance of hormones, manage stress, and then see what your doctor will pull for free before you really dive in and say, okay, things have been off for a good six months. I've given it some time to try to balance my hormones naturally. Like I'm going to move forward with like a Dutch test and somebody that knows how to read it and, uh, and understands root causes. 
Anything from you, Steph? No. Okie dokie. <laughs> Okie dokie. Um, I mean, <laughs> that was just, it was very thorough. I had a list of all of the hormones that I would, you know, look at and getting tested, oh. you know, and asking the question. It's all, it's also very contextual, right? Like, were you somebody who was regular before childbirth, right? right. Like, is yeah. your body naturally inclined to be more easily disrupted by stress, right? Like all Absolutely. of these sorts of yeah. um, questions were always very relevant because it's it's really context context dependent. And I, my personal, you know, my personal, I haven't given birth, right? Um, I've read a little bit about this and um, have experience working with people who haven't given birth. And uh, I look at several months, <laughs> like a window, like four to six, like six months, I think, um, but it's also very dependent on what your goals are, right? Like, what are you trying to achieve? How are you living? How much is your stress and your sleep like impacting you? Um, yeah. So it's all it's all just deeply contextual. And I also appreciate Noelle's like very deep knowledge of the subject. So, yeah. Yeah. Just going through it, you know. Yeah. You, it's the best, the best way to be in in experience that something is to experience it yourself. So, um, it's been hugely insightful and also just, you know, transformational and (laughs) developing me as a human. But it, yeah, it, I I was definitely worried about that the first time around, the second time around, I kind of understood things a little bit better. But, you know, even after multiple kids, it's you still are you find yourself Googling the same things that you did the first time around. And so um, all of this, it's it's definitely individual. Like you were saying, Stephanie, it's it's it can vary so much from person to person. And I think that's what why a lot of us struggle because we see our friend got their period back here and so and so is thriving and doing great and but why am I not you know and so you just have to be able to look at your own unique situation and the truth of the matter is a lot of women if you're listening to this podcast a lot of women we have our own history with with our body our body's physiology reacting in a specific way if you're under eating if you're over exercising your body doesn't forget that and it it no it adapts in a specific way and if you've lost your period before it's likely playing some sort of part into why you're not getting it again postpartum. That's not to mean that you are not, you know, you're you're overexercising and you're undereating. You may be undereating, which a lot of people do when they're breastfeeding. So that's, you know, something to look at. That's a good contextual clue. But also your body, like you just, you, your hormones are going to be like more prone to, to ex- like, what's the word? More prone to just not be facilitated in a specific way, but to just cut like become in balance in a very specific way. Like I, I, we've mentioned before, some people, when they're stressed, they lose their period. Other people, they get really, you know, chronic digestive issues. So you have to take a lot of these contextual clues and, and apply it. And, you know, losing your period too, it's so correlated with stress. And a lot of times in, in our youth, when we lost our period at, at its core, that was, that was because of stress, right? But from different areas or from, from different things. And so now as adults, we can still experience the same result, but the stresses maybe are different. So you just, you know, you just got to take clues and understand what your body was doing before and use that as you move forward. So anyway, 
Lots of thoughts. I am done. Are you done? <laughs> yes, that was a lot of thoughts. <laughs> Sorry. All good. No, no, no. It's perfect. You know. Okay. And, yeah. 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 Well, we're bringing it to a hot close. We're we're on time here. Look at me. I'm doing you well, Steph. We're good. Keeping it to three questions. Um, Okay, for more from (laughs) Stephanie, Stephanie.Ruper on Instagram. I'm Coconuts and Cuttables on Instagram. My website is Coconuts and Cuttables. Thank you guys for being here. We love you. We will talk to you next week.